Good afternoon, it is Gregory Korea and Harmonics, and I got a very special guest who I consider one of the godfathers of music in the East Bay, San Francisco Bay Area, if not all of California, Mr. Jimmy Bedford. How are you, brother? Wonderful, man. Great to see you again. Man, it is so good to see you, man. You're looking good, man. So we're going to be talking about your, um, your history, talking about how, how it all got, how Jimmy Bedford has become Jimmy Bedford, but what he does for so many other people. So let's get right with it. Tell me about, when you were young, Elvis and black music. Well, the radio, that was the thing. Mm -hmm. It had the radio on, and every song on the radio was great. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the uh, black music was actually the driving force, I think, for almost everybody, including Elvis. Mm -hmm. So. That kind of, the doo-wop groups, it all pulled you in. It had an energy, and it had a beat. A lot of the music in those days before that just didn't have a beat, didn't have a rhythm. Mm -hmm. So it kind of brought everybody together, you know? Mm -hmm. Was it sort of like just because, of, I, mean, I know you, they had Krupa and all them and Buddy Rich and was it the beat just wasn't just that nice 4-4, four, four, that strong beat, or was it the backbone wasn't right, or? Uh, the snare was heavier in R&B. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Elvis brought it out, Chuck Berry, Little Richard, mm -hmm. Ray Charles, mm -hmm. Ike and Tina Turner. Ike and Tina Turner. Tell me about Ike and Tina Turner. Well, my grandma lived off of uh, Seminary Avenue. In Oakland? Right by 98th Avenue in Oakland. And mm -hmm. I used to stay there in the summertime. Okay. And my cousin Dave was real young, you know. We mm -hmm. played together. But I'd sneak out. I'd go downtown. 7th Street. Right there on 98th Avenue oh. and Seminary, mm -hmm. and that's where I met Lloyd, who used to spin the platters for me. He used to play all these cool songs, even by white guys. Be Bopalula by Gene Vincent. Wow. He was playing it all, right? Yes. Kind of educating me. Yes. But this one evening, I snuck out. I started walking down the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. it was so easy to do in those days, right? right? Nobody knew where I was. My folks were on vacation. My grandma didn't know, so I'm walking down the street, and I hear this music coming out of this club. And uh, wow, it had energy, right? Right. So I went and st stuck my head in the door, and the bouncer was there, and he said, I'm sorry, young man, I can't let you go in, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you stand right there. 
So I stood there and it was a woman up there mm -hmm. with a guitar player. And this was where they had a lot of the black acts would come to Oakland. Mm -hmm. You know, showcase club, exactly. Willie John, people like that. And it was Ike and Tina Turner. And I'll never forget because it was the old Tina Turner, the one was singing blues. Mm -hmm. And I think they had one song called I Think It's Gonna Work Out Fine that was on the radio. Mm -hmm. You know, but uh, Ike was playing guitar and it was a big band, it was just a small group. Mm -hmm. And I just listened for a few minutes and stuff, and I was, God, it was amazing the energy. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, she wasn't even dancing around, she was just up there singing, mm -hmm. which she could do, right? Right, exactly. So that's kind of what that was, you know, that was that experience that I, I saw. You know, and um, how old were you around that time? Like, you know, I think I was around eleven or twelve. Oh, so you were really young. Yeah. No wonder why you couldn't come in, young man. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I mean, it was neat because you know I'd stay with my grandma, and um, you know my cousin Dave was there, but like I said, he was real young. Yeah, so he he couldn't go with me. You know, and right, right. Do some things and mm -hmm. stuff like that, and uh, so that's what that was. I mean, it was just the the energy. KDIA Lucky Thirteen. <laughs> that kind of that brings that brings all kinds of memories back. So, um, you did some things on your first time on television, or uh, what was that? Uh, TV? You did some TV work uh, after, right after that. The first time I was on TV, and there's a picture actually over there my my aunt Jean took. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, my cousin Dave and I sang harmony together. Mm -hmm. We went on the King Norman talent search. Wow. And uh, he had an amusement park, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we were on Channel 7 and we won. And so the prize was that we got to perform at the King Norman Amusement Park. Now, what would that be? I think it was in the Contra Costa area. I don't even okay. know because I was only like 11 or 12. But mm -hmm. there's a picture of it over there. And mm -hmm. it's just, you know, a simple by those standards standards mm -hmm. uh, amusement park and stuff mm -hmm. and uh, so my cousin Dave and I sang you know for a while and then I kind of broke away from it right. and uh, when I went to uh, one of my dad's gigs at the Newark Pavilion mm -hmm. and this was amazing for me I mean it was like my dad's band knew those songs uh, they were Elvis tunes you know the a little richer variety. Right. And um, so my cousin Dave was with me. Anyway, I went up and sang with my dad's band, and uh, God, I couldn't believe it, man. All of a sudden, I don't know where they came from, but there was all kinds of girls, and they started coming toward the stage, and they were like screaming and everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I finished, and I went back in the backstage area. But there were these stairs that went down, and then you went to the exit door. Okay. And it was full of these girls. And they got a hold of me, and they started tearing my clothes. <laughs> I love it. And the cops came. Uh-huh. The security that was there, and my mom was horrified. Mm -hmm. That's when I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt <laughs> that I want to do this, you uh -huh. know what I mean? It was really of course. exciting for me. Mm -hmm. um, I went back mm -hmm. up 
on the staging area, and I stood there, and my dad said, that's enough. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, Dad, I want to do it again. He said, no. He said, when you do something like that, just let it go. That's enough. We were on stage long enough, mm -hmm. and uh, so, and of course, you know. Was that at the, you, that was at the Newark uh, Pavilion, you said? I'll never forget it, you know. It's so Newark Pavilion, and I think it's still, it's still there. Most definitely, it's still there. It's it's iconic. I mean, it's still there. You know. So, what was your um, what was your uh, your setup? What was the setup that you're using back then? When you, uh, your guitar, or just I was you sang? just singing? Really? And moving on the stage because mm -hmm. my dad had a whole band. Mm -hmm. He had his guitar player and mm -hmm. bass player, upright bass player, the whole uh -huh. band. Uh, the drummer was great. They knew the breaks in the song. Uh -huh. They kind of followed me and stuff. And I wasn't playing. You weren't playing guitar either. At all. I was just up there singing, kind of doing the Elvis thing. And uh, you whipped it up. It, it was like I say. It was one of those <laughs> magical moments in your life, right? Right. My mom and everything, right? You know, my mom was there, and I think she was kind of, kind of surprised. I was kind of surprised because I didn't think anybody would really react that way. So, uh, when did you actually meet Bill Corey? And you know, you did the whole thing with Dwayne Eddy. Tell me about all of that. Uh, and you know, that's right around the, in this area. But before we do that, yeah, let's talk about Bill Corey, and then I want to talk about when you actually got started playing guitar and all that too. But well, I was playing guitar during that time, you know. But mm -hmm. when I sat in with my dad's band that time, I wasn't. Mm -hmm. but, uh, um, I did both, you know, mm -hmm. because I wanted to use the stage and do the moves and everything. But uh, what happened with uh, Bill Quarry was uh, I had a band, and uh, of course I was playing guitar and singing. Mm -hmm. And my mom was a car hop at Gordon's Drive In in San Leandro, mm -hmm. right there at 150th. Okay. Right Springs, okay. Where that was. Uh huh. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's well, going there. Uh, yeah. Right. And so um, she was a car hop there, and she knew Bill and his partner Gary, and he was starting dances, mm -hmm. and he was looking for a band. So mm -hmm. my mom said, "Well, my son plays guitar. He's got a band." Mm -hmm. So we auditioned, and um, we got the gig at. Uh, Teens and Twenties, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. was right down the street here at the Moose Club. Right. Um, and it really went over. I mean, it was like there was a line outside to get in every Friday and Saturday night, mm -hmm. and we lucked out. We got the gig, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of good bands at that time, but uh, we kind of had the setup. We had like piano, bass, drums, guitar. Great singer in yourself. Uh, piano. Mm -hmm. So when you when you looked at having you know the piano, bass, drums, yeah, guitar, the true rhythm section, singing, and we sang harmonies. There weren't a lot of bands that were going that far, and I was one of the youngest guys in the band. But uh, some of the older guys in the band said, "Yeah, we need to do some of these songs mm -hmm. with our mm -hmm. background vocals and stuff." Mm -hmm. So um, we were pretty. I think well established after we played for Bill, mm -hmm. um, and uh, we started, you know, playing at different gigs, like the Pavilion, backing up doo-wop groups like mm -hmm. the Five Superiors. Mm -hmm. Five guys would be up there doing all these routines, and they're always looking for young guys that 
played the music the way they wanted it. All right, and you were that band. And we played like the stuff, you know. There was no, you know, go out there and just play a bunch of stuff. Right. We played the songs so these guys could do the show. So they took us with them, and we were playing, you know, all these different halls at the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The Spanish Hall, the IDES. The IDES Hall in, in Hayward? Or yeah. was it all different ones it that you... It was the IDES. In, in Hayward, in Hayward. on Foothill. The Spanish Hall down San Leandro. Mm -hmm. And you know, so the scene was really, really... Opening up? Every weekend it was music. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just... Not it, like it is today. You know, tell me about the Garden of Allah. Well, that was a great gig. I actually took that gig and left my band, and then I wound up taking a couple of guys from my band with me. Mm -hmm. um, this guy named Chuck Wayne, mm -hmm. he had the Garden of Allah, mm -hmm. and Black Jack Wayne, his brother, had the Dream Bowl in Napa. <laughs> and they had all these big names come out. Right. And Tom Donahue, uh, from KYA had the record hop every Friday night. Wow. And Saturday night was country night. So there were people that Chuck would come out with like that nobody could get, like Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee, Lewis. Mm -hmm. You know, they'd come out here, stay at the bungalows in the back. Wow, amazing. Then they would go to the Dream Bowl mm -hmm. to Jack's place. Um, in and, Napa. In Napa. And uh, they had a TV show every Saturday called the Black Jack Wayne Show. And they publicized both places. And I was on that TV show every Saturday. Uh, Do you have any tapes of that? I don't. But that would be priceless if I you did. I wish I did. So you played with Gene Vincent. Well, what happened was Gene Vincent was, couldn't believe it, um, I went into the bar area mm -hmm. to ask Chuck a question, and he said, uh, Jimmy, you're not supposed to be back here. And I said, no, I know I want to ask you a question, Chuck. And then I looked, and I said, wait a minute, Chuck, who's that behind the bar? Is that Gene Vincent? He said, yeah. And he's drinking me out of the house at home. Because <laughs> Gene Vincent would go behind the bar and take the drink <laughs> and be a bartender and be drinking, right? And his wife. Mm -hmm. would hang out in the dance hall where we were playing. Because mm -hmm. we were all, you know, the young guys were coming in there and the young girls, and she would hang out with some of the young girls. And uh, Gene Vincent got up on the stage and sat in with a band. Wow. What, a, what, an, what, a, what an amazing thing that is. Well, I didn't know that he had that brace on his leg because mm -hmm. um, he was crippled, you know. Mm -hmm. And he got up. It wasn't the same Gene Vincent I was used to because he was trying to go country, but he got up there and sang some rock stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, this guy, Billy Joe Tucker, came up and sat in on guitar with Gene and uh, the band. And uh, it was just neat to see those kind of people in Niles. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine that? Yes. You know, but Donahue had all these people that had top 40 hits come out there on Friday night. Miss, I miss Tom Donahue. He was such a force in back in the day. Tell me about uh, Jan and Dean and uh, Joe Simon and Mel and, and Jerry. Well, what happened was um, 
started working for different agencies. Mm -hmm. And so um, I got a chance to be on the bill with Janet Dean at the Vets Hall in Oakland. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was with Joe Simon, God, what a great talent that guy mm -hmm. was. Um, it was at Spanish Hall in San Leandro. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Mel and Jerry had a Warner Brothers contract, and we had a song called Double Whammy that was on the radio. And um, Jerry went on, by the way, to write for the Jacksons. But at that time, they were a duo, and they picked a band. They would pick somebody from each band and put a core band together, and I was in that core band for that. Wow. So I'm doing that, and then I'm running off to another band uh, that's playing at Vets Hall to get up and sing a couple of songs with, you know, you know the people that were playing sponsoring at that, time. that one. Mm -hmm. So that was just another gig, and mm -hmm. I didn't really have a manager. So you were actually managing yourselves or, or hustling? That. It was word of mouth, though, mm -hmm. you know. Once you get in, you just and started. then people find out. And that's what um, Bill Quarry did when uh, we played with Dwayne Eddy. Mm -hmm. They would get the local acts that they didn't have to pay the money to have other supporting acts come mm -hmm. in Smart. to town. And there was great talent here. Yeah. There was, so mm -hmm. we got a chance to be with Dwayne Eddy, you know, mm -hmm. you know, that was my regular band, so I'm going from my regular band to other bands. To the garden band, to the other band, with Mel and Jerry, to, you know, just all over the hopping. place. Hopping. Hopping, man. I was hopping, man. Uh, so, what about the Army and the Statue of Liberty and then the Bavarian um, talent competition in Times Square? What, what were you doing? Were you, in, were you in the Army? I was the in service? the army for three years. Uh -huh. They were going to draft me, and my dad said, you know, I'm getting tired of having you uh, get caught underage. I'm going to sneak into nightclubs and sit in with the band and mm -hmm. stuff. And mm -hmm. So my dad said, you better get the obligation out of the way. So I did that. Um, they said that if I spent 36 months instead of 24, I didn't have to go in to the summer camp program mm -hmm. for the reserves mm -hmm. for the next two years after that. Mm -hmm. I did not want to do that. So I spent almost three years and uh, while I was in, I was in a group called the We Three okay. and we were in the army together. So we'd won a bunch of talent uh, levels mm -hmm. in our division and mm -hmm. brigades and stuff. And we mm -hmm. went to New York for the finals, and it was a Governor's Island. And uh, we were there, three guys from San Leandro. Wow. Uh, and Times Square, and I'm going, oh my God, you know, this is really a, a magical moment. In your life, of course never it is. I saw Times Square, you know, mm -hmm. but on television. And, um, but then they broke us up. I got sent to Germany, huh. and I was there for two years in the tank outfit that Elvis had been in. Same tank outfit. Same tank outfit. Wow. I didn't volunteer for it. They I, just I took you. How I wound up there, but um, it was um, it was rough over there, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, I met this German kid, uh, Gunter Hutz, 
19 years old, spoke five languages, <laughs> and he saw me play guitar and sing and do a bunch of wild stuff. I was playing, you know, with my guitar behind my neck and, mm -hmm. you know, between my legs and everything. And playing fast wasn't really that much, I Going would say, on. it wasn't that much a part of what people saw. Right. And because I had my dad's people showing me stuff. I was kind of showy, so I got on that German uh, Bavarian talent competition, and um, I won wow. over there, but I didn't speak the language, and I was kind of embarrassed because <laughs> I went on German radio and television, and he was there talking, but all I knew how to say was, thank you very much, and good night, and good morning, and I love you. There you go. Hey, all you need is all you need is love, right? That's it. So you know, but he would. Tell any me, films of that? Huh? Do you have any films of that? Yeah. No, I, I was over there. I didn't have anything. You know, hmm. I mean. You were you're a GI. I was a GI. I mean, it was all up to them. But the one thing he did for me before I left, he gave me this album of pictures, and on the top of the album, it's signed by Elvis Presley. Because Elvis was his neighbor. Elvis lived in Bad Nauheim, mm -hmm. uh, off post with his family. Mm. So um, I got all these rare pictures of Elvis. Mm -hmm. The only thing that I regret is that I didn't stay in touch because he was oh, you doing didn't. so much for me, you know, mm -hmm. and stay at his hotel. He owned a hotel with mm -hmm. his family. Wow, too bad you didn't meet, meet up with him years later or anything. Oh, jeez. You still have the book with Elvis in the I do. Excellent. That's a that's a prize. That's a historical piece. That's a musical historical piece. Yeah. You know. He'd signed the stuff, you know, and mm -hmm. it was in the fifties. Mm -hmm. You know, and you see Elvis, and it doesn't. I mean, it just doesn't ring in your mind that he could be playing football and baseball. He's got the yeah. Short hair and his hair is blonde and mm -hmm. you know. But uh, I'd seen where I was stationed in a movie, I saw G.I. Blues. Mm -hmm. And here I am at that place. But make no mistake about it, man, being in a tank outfit was way rougher than... Tough. ...than being in the missile site. <laughs> oh. So let's talk about Hayden Ashbury and, and of course, George, George Harrison. He was in there at that time in 67 or 68, something like that, during the the flower years and all that stuff like that. Was Patty Boyd, Patty Boyd was with him too, wasn't she? Yeah, well what happened was, we're playing at a place called the Transaction Inn, right on the corner of 8th and Irving. Mm -hmm. God, I can't believe I remember that. And it was an old bank, and we're inside playing, and the doorman came up to the stage and he said, stop, stop because he was standing at the front door looking out down the street. Mm -hmm. He said, stop playing. So we did. He said, come outside and look at this. And there was this group of people coming down the street from a distance. Mm -hmm. And it was George Harrison and Patty Boyd. They were walking up Towards pan, uh, toward the pan, panhandle, were they in the panhandle or coming? Coming Eighth Street. Uh huh. And it was, you know, 
hundreds. Unbelievable to see that many people, you know, and they were in front. It's almost like they were leading these people. <laughs> and uh, Amazing. That's what that was about, and we never forgot it, you know, because we thought, well, we were going through our hippie thing, which really didn't last too long, mm -hmm. thank goodness, mm -hmm. because, you know, we got out of that, and uh, mm -hmm. we got a manager. We had a great manager over there. Mm -hmm. So. Interesting. In that time period, that's an interesting thing to actually have that going through that process and actually witnessing, again, no footage or anything that you had at all on that either, huh? Well, I didn't have a camera with me. Oh, I see. You were actually no in the... No film or anything. I'm just playing the gig at night. <laughs> He's telling you I didn't even know all this stuff was going to happen. <laughs> wow. I never knew any of this was going to happen. No. There was no... Spontaneous? Phones, no cameras, no film or anything. Uh -huh. Everything was just going on in life mm -hmm. and it was going fast right. so you know nobody really thought of that you mm -hmm. know amazing amazing so then you went to you went to paramount movie set and you did some things with three dog night and was it don otis or no let me clarify that mm -hmm. um there was this lady that came in to the hate uh, Ashbury Club we were at, at the mm. transaction, and she mm. knew this guy named Don Otis, who was uh, working at Paramount, and she wanted him to see us, uh, the trio that I had, mm -hmm. we three, and uh, anyway, it was Carl Battaglia, who played bass and keyboards, and then Jerry Garcia, who played drums, and mm -hmm. myself, mm -hmm. and uh, so... We were still working during the day, and they were going to go over to the Embarcadero and meet Don uh, during the day, and mm -hmm. I didn't go. Um, so they came back and they said, this guy wants to have a meeting with us, and he's got connections and everything. He's, he was on the movie set. He's got to be somebody. So uh, he started managing us, and uh, we went into a recording studio and did some recordings. I don't even know what even happened to the stuff. Really? So you don't have no clue where that's no, at? No, because Don owned it. Mm -hmm. But uh, Don had a breakup with his significant other, and I forget. After that, it kind of fell apart. Um, what were you singing? What, what, what kind of music were you doing? Rock, uh, young, early rock? Uh, I was doing what was on the radio, mm -hmm. rock, heavy rock, and, and and no, and you had no, you have no another case of no, you don't know where it's at, or just it's just gone somewhere. Well, no, there's a bunch of tapes now mm -hmm. that are even on uh, YouTube. Okay. That uh, with my other band friends, mm -hmm. but the thing about Three Dog Night was that. Um, my drummer, Jerry Garcia, said that uh, Three Dog Night, Don knew Lou Adler, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so they were on that label that he had, and what happened was we thought they were going to ask us to play in the band because we heard that they were looking for a, players. a problem mm -hmm. with the internal workings of the band, right. which was... Chuck Negron, it turned out to be the lead singer. Mm. He wound up going over the edge and 
I think he got beat up even in San Francisco really bad. And so... Uh, Interesting. We found out that they were auditioning singers for his... Replacement. Replacement. So Don said, it's not for the band. It's, Jimmy, if you want to you know, audition for that, right? Because I could do the stuff on the radio really well. Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what I did more than write at the time. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to do it you know, mm -hmm. uh, without the two guys that I've been right, with in high you're, school and right. in the army and everything. And I'm going to leave and go down there and, you know, uh, and um, there was a security in a band at that time because when you're in a band, it becomes like your family. <laughs> How true that is, yes. anybody else on earth. Exactly. So, um, but it worked out because we did wind up buying our own nightclub in San Leandro. Yeah, it was called the Pandora. The Pandora. How long did that last? A couple of years. Mm -hmm. Wow. So after all of that, you went, you started doing acts. You started playing around in Jack London Square. With uh, did you play with ever play with the Casuals or play, you know, or you guys or you know not that you guys were rivals or by name, but did you play with the Casuals and you know how Jack London Square was hopping too big oh, it, time. It really was. Well, what happened was um, when we bought the Pandora, um, one of the Casuals. Uh, I think it was Gil mm -hmm. called us and congratulated us because we were the only other band beside them that had bought their own nightclub. Mm -hmm. And uh, but when my trio broke up, mm -hmm. when we sold the club, right. I wound up in this band called Friends mm -hmm. with uh, it was Rick Itram uh, playing keyboards. It was Manny Perez on bass, Larry Schulz on drums, and myself. Mm -hmm. And um, we started playing at King Richard's. Oh, Jack wow, Rogers what a Square. name, man. I remember that club. And the casuals had already kind of like, that had changed. That had turned into a kind of like a different kind of, of club. Right. After they left, the it following just, left. It may... So we're there, and uh, we're next door to the Square Apple, you know, and they have mm -hmm. a tower there and people like that. But we're playing at King Richard's during the uh, beginning of the dance era mm -hmm. of disco where people really wanted to dance. Right. And they wanted that, that beat. groove and right. that beat and they wanted to hear the stuff on the radio and mm -hmm. they were there for it. So, But they offered us uh, this thing playing oldies on Sunday night. Uh, we were going to do the oldies thing, and they were going to have the drifters and people like that come in, mm -hmm. and we were going to be on the bill with them. Mm -hmm. And Butch Wax and the Glass Packs, they were a big... Big time. Big time. Mm -hmm. So what happened was they came to us and said, we want you guys to take the whole radio broadcast and take requests... On the line? On the line. So Phone. we did that, and... Uh, that's how I wound up with all these recordings mm -hmm. of the radio broadcast because my mom was home <laughs> recording me. And some of them, this is really funny. This is worth a laugh. Mm -hmm. So my mom, you know, is recording stuff and everything, and she's got this 8-track thing. Uh, 
before she got the cassette. Right. Mm -hmm. And the eight-track thing, you'd be listening to a song, and all of a sudden it would click over to the next track. Mm -hmm. So I've got some recordings where you're listening, and then all of a sudden it goes right in the middle of a song. You know, that's how that. But at least you have the at least you have the uh, at least you have the the memories and the, and you still you still have the music around. I got oh, I got all that stuff. You got you really should actually make a, a CD or a thumb drive or whatever on those stuff, Jimmy. That that's really amazing stuff. While we move on, what about tell me about you were doing some things in the Sheridan with the Everly Brothers and uh, the Beach Boys. How did that all come about? Well, was that I wasn't just a gig? with them. What happened was this. It was like another magical moment. Mm -hmm. All the big names would stay at the Sheridan mm -hmm. in Concord, and we had the five-night-a-week gig. Mm -hmm. And it was great, so they would stay at the hotel. So this one particular night, um, I'm up there singing with my bass player, and we're looking this way, and this way is the big glass door. I know the Sheridan and well. you see the lobby. Mm -hmm. So some of the people in the Everly Brothers band, they were in there, so we decided to play a couple of Everly Brothers tunes. And, uh, so it was funny because my bass player, Manny, said, Jim, Jim, like this, real quick. Because we were singing, all I have to do is dream. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the song, I looked over and there was Don and Phil looking at us on the other side of the glass. And I almost like fainted, you know, because <laughs> these guys are so great. They are, so they were but so great. The next night I came to work and there was a picture on the top of my amp signed by the Everly Brothers. I hope and you I got that. that so there you that go. Was that. Uh, with the Beach Boys, mm -hmm. that was really funny. They came in. Um, in the lounge, mm -hmm. and they were in their partying, mm -hmm. you know, and drinking. And uh, I think um, Brian wasn't with it, Bruce Johnson was. Interesting. And uh, I'll never forget it because uh, we had done La Bamba, and Bruce Johnson walked up to me and said, Hey, man, can I tell you something? I said, Oh, what's that? He said, that was the best version of Obama I've ever heard. Richie said, Valens. Well, I don't know one word that I'm saying, but <laughs> I just copied it as close as I could. He said, no, can I tell you why I can say that? And I said, because you're Bruce Johnson. He said, well, no, I was the bass player on that song. The original, the original with... He played bass for Richie Valens. Wow. And I didn't know that, and I almost like I couldn't believe it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then one of the guys in your group was going, "Hey, man, say something about Bruce and uh, Barry Manilow, you know, because mm -hmm. they would, I guess, they would rib him about it, mm -hmm. or they were ribbing him about it, mm -hmm. and that was the big song that Barry Manilow he had written that song." I said, "No, I can't do that." <laughs> but they were partying and stuff and drinking and they said, hey man, you guys are good and we're having a good time. And 
These these next two guys, uh, Steve Perry and uh, Paul Hogate, I I've met them both. I know Paul uh, pretty good, but uh, great musician, by the way, Paul. Um, Journey Montrose. Um, what happened was that Paul, who I started out in the business, mm -hmm. um, had a band called Heist, mm -hmm. and they were making an album, and I guess Herbie Herbert, I guess the production company that had mm -hmm. Journey. Y&T. Yeah, they were sponsoring it, mm -hmm. and they paid for it, and I went to the record release party at the record plant, and Steve Perry was there. Mm -hmm. of Journey, right? Mm -hmm. And everybody's in the room and stuff like that. Well, this was one of those magic moments for me. Mm -hmm. So I started talking to Steve, and we started talking about blues and about music and everything, right? Mm -hmm. And we must have stood there for 30 minutes talking about when he was on this particular stage show and mm -hmm. Albert King was on the bill and who his influences were besides Sam Cooke and everything mm -hmm. and just chattered and chattered and it was one of the most I would say mind-blowing evenings mm -hmm. speaking to somebody like that mm -hmm. who was so knowledgeable but such a great singer as well. He was a great singer. I wish that he would be around a little more. Uh, I don't know what the problem is with, with Steve Perry not <clears throat> actually playing or you know, you see him, he comes and goes, got in the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a couple of years back. Let's talk about you as a star search with Dan, uh, Don McMahon. Oh, Ed McMahon. Ed, Ed McMahon. Yeah, I had two people Sorry. on there. Uh-huh. And um, I wound up being in charge of star search auditions for the Bay Area after I got to know them down there. And I was in the hall one afternoon, and right across the hall, was Ed McMahon, and the door was open, and there was this big buffet and everything, and I was looking as I was walking out, and he goes, how you doing? I said, fine. I said, wow, that's quite a spread there. He said, you hungry? Come on and have lunch. So I had lunch with Ed McMahon. I didn't even know him. That's where that picture came from. Oh, with Ed. That's yeah. a great picture of you and Ed. And that got me in a little easier later on with Universal and Natalie Cole's big break. Mm -hmm. That was really something. I stayed down there for that. It's, it's sad that she's gone. She was such a, you know. She was an amazing singer. This mm -hmm. was before the uh, Unforgettable album, you know, mm -hmm. with her dad mm -hmm. and everything. But she had big names on there, oh. like Whitney Houston. And oh. I've seen all these people. Oh. And I'm in there watching them rehearse because I had two acts mm -hmm. that went on there and mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got to stay at the hotel. And they said, well, why don't you stick around and, you know, work with people. She, she was, she's gone too soon. Another person that's gone too soon. You did a thing with, um, and I've heard this uh, CD, you did a thing with uh, Country uh, Guitar Farm. And, you know, tell me about that. And with was it with Brad Tower or who was that? Well, Brad Gillis. Oh, was it, it was Gillis? Yeah, I was on the track with uh, Brad Gillis, and um, and it was great. The Tower Power Horns mm -hmm. were on that um, particular track, mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of famous guitar players are on that album. Steve Wolverton produced it, and then he let me and a few other people 
produce. I produced the only vocal on there. Mm -hmm. uh, really? Yeah, called My Guitar. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jim Ziegler wrote it, and then uh, one of my students that I had taught sang lead on it, mm -hmm. and then I produced the background vocals, mm -hmm. and Jack Blades of Night Ranger mm -hmm. mixed it. So I got a chance to produce a little bit on there. I just was. I just seen Jimmy Ziegler, uh, Jimmy Z, the other day uh, for um, Billy London's uh, celebration of life over at um, Rich and An Angie's house uh, over there. It was a great thing for Billy London. Let's go. We got a few more questions. I want to get this uh, so that you get. You did a thing with um, in the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, you're in a book, and you did. You actually sponsored a huge thing over at. Um, uh, Barnes and Nobles. Tell me what, how was that, and how you really did a lot of work for that. With well, you were there man, for that. Mm -hmm. um, it was just when the book came out, um, I got together with Bruce Tossler, mm -hmm. who uh, had written the book, and uh, we worked together on it. And I got the the Barnes and Noble people uh, to have the book signing. Right. And. I let you know about it mm -hmm. and a bunch of people, and it became the largest book signing in the history of the place. Yes. Well, you were there. It was packed. Brick Stevens was there. Roger Collins. All these people. Lydia. Were in the book. Lydia Pence. Roger Collins. Yeah. Uh, it was really huge. Really great. Huge. We got an. We have. We actually have that. Um, let's talk about Sinatra's place. Um, well, You're talking about the Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Well, what happened was. We went up to Calneva. He didn't own it anymore because mm -hmm. he had let it go. Mm -hmm. But we were up there, and we were playing in the main showroom. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was when I had this Elvis outfit on. I did, I think, 20 minutes of that, <laughs> and then something else. And the dressing rooms were mind-blowing mm -hmm. because they had carved the dressing rooms out of the solid rock in the mountain. Right, because this is like Tahoe, North Shore. Right. So you could go down this hallway and stuff, and there were dressing rooms, really elaborate ones. Now, this is after Frank had vacated the place, uh -huh. but it had the most incredible light system. When those lights came on me when I was on that stage, right. oh God, it was the greatest feeling I think I ever had mm -hmm. being center stage. But years later, I found out. On 2020, with Geraldo Rivera, I think, that the Kennedys and Marilyn Monroe mm -hmm. and Frank, they were all hanging out in those back dressing rooms. Interesting. And they were staying in the bungalow. And I had no idea. I told my wife, I said, look, that's the same dressing room I had. Amazing. Amazing. So what is, as, as we finish up here, Jimmy, and, and thank you for letting us come into your, your great studio, what is the future like for Jimmy? What are, you, what are you actually still doing now? I know you're producing things at Fantasy. What do you see? What is your next steps? Are you, are you going to perform? I heard some recordings that you sent me, and I know you're recording. Are you going to perform again, or are you just, just going to just teach? No, actually, what you heard, mm -hmm. and all those, if you go to YouTube and type mm -hmm. in Jim Bedford, mm -hmm. Bobby Schwartz, mm -hmm. you can see all the songs that were posted yes. uh, by Bobby Schwartz of my band when I was gigging. Mm -hmm. Radio shows are on there and mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. um, by the way, the song that I'm on on uh, Guitar Farm with Brad Gillis is Roadster. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, 
um, I just back up my students. Mm -hmm. The main thing is I'm in this room and I'm writing and mm -hmm. I'm producing, mm -hmm. and that's why you see all the records all over the walls. With mm -hmm. fantasy, they closed, but it was a great experience being there for almost 30 years. Mm. I was working there doing yeah. projects, uh, mm -hmm. Santana down the hall, mm -hmm. uh, Journey down the hall. Earthquake. The earthquake, just all of these great bands, mm -hmm. and I, I would go to work there and produce, mm -hmm. you know, when I'm not here. Mm -hmm. um, I left Hyde Street for that, but I got to tell you something interesting about uh, Fantasy, one last thing. Mm -hmm. We were the house band for their Christmas parties years ago. Hmm. And when Saul Zantz owned it, and Saul. this guy David Lucchese and his brother would mm -hmm. sit in with us because he was Saul. a producer there. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's how I kind of met people like Joey Tarantino. Mm -hmm. and, you know, so um, that's how I came back to fantasy mm -hmm. um, because uh, Jeff Woods noticed how many years I spent there. He said, Jim, don't go anywhere else. Don't go to San Francisco anymore. Just come here, man. We want you back. So hmm. that's how I went back to Fantasy. Right. Unfortunately, they're closed. Um, and we were supposed to we were supposed to record there, Blue Voodoo, and also our show was going to record. You had us. We were getting ready to go in there, and then all of a sudden you called me up and said we're closed. But in closing, I like to thank Jimmy for letting us come in this beautiful studio with the lights on. I feel like I'm on stage with Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy Bedford is a legend in the San Francisco Bay Area. He has taught thousands of students. He's given so many people the opportunity to play on stages that he gets people on. He's, he, to me, is the wisest man on our scene today because he has history and he still has the energy to do things right for other people, but he has the drive of being a musical genius. Thank you, Jimmy. It is a pleasure to have you again. And, you know, God bless you. And, you know, every day is a it's beautiful, beautiful day. <laughs> Peace and love to you, man. This is Gregory Career with Jimmy Bedford. God bless you all. Love you all. Thank you. Peace.